0: And so the wise men go and give Jesus gifts, and then we skip down to verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted. Because they are no more. This is no one's favorite Christmas story. I don't think. (laughs) It's one Meredith would tell us we should probably skip when our kids are little until they're old enough to engage with it. But there it is. And, kind of referring back to my sermon from a couple weeks ago, I think this is a really important story for challenging the hazy nostalgia Christmas we sometimes get trapped in. Because this story tells us something true true about Jesus, true about the world true about the actual implications of God with us. Because God with us is good news. Unless it isn't. As many of you know, I've been putting out a little series of backdrop podcasts on the book of Revelation, and there's an even more uncomfortable Christmas story in Revelation, believe it or not. If you've already listened to the backdrop episode that just came out this past weekend, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if not, what are you waiting for? I'll just pause here. We can take a break for an hour or so while you go download that and get caught up and then you can restart this podcast. Okay. We good. Anyway, after the visions John has in the first half of revelation of the cycles of evil and war and oppression and judgment that characterize human history, John gives us a vision of God's response to those cycles, the way God is going to, or has begun to intervene in creation to finally put an end to those cycles of evil and war and oppression and justice. And here is how John's vision starts. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on its heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. John, as always is speaking in symbols, giving his readers an imaginative portrait that they can picture in their minds of the fundamental struggle going on behind the scenes, portraying the people of God as a woman, giving birth to a son who will rule over the nations, Jesus, in other words, and portraying evil, Satan, as a huge red dragon who wants nothing more than to devour this newborn king. But just as Joseph takes Jesus and flees to Egypt, to escape the fury of Herod, so this child in John's vision is snatched away from the dragon and up to God's very throne. The parallels are such that some who have read Revelation argue that the dragon actually represents Herod in a kind of one-to-one sort of way, but the symbols in Revelation are rarely one-to-one. So, of course, the dragon is Herod, but it's also Pharaoh, who, when God came close to the suffering people of Israel, reacted the same way Herod had. This is Exodus 1.28. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. The dragon is Satan. It is Herod. It is Pharaoh. It's also Nebuchadnezzar. The passage in Matthew about Herod quotes Jeremiah 31 at the end. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. In Jeremiah, Rachel is weeping, For the children who have been killed and exiled by the empire of Babylon. In Matthew, she is weeping for the children who have been killed by Herod, the agent of the empire of Rome. Later in Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar is described this way. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me like a dragon. He has filled his belly with my delicacies. He has spewed me out. Which brings us full circle. The dragon is Satan. It's Herod. It's Pharaoh. It's Nebuchadnezzar. It's all of them. Because this is the response of evil and empire anytime God comes near. God is with us. Good news for the oppressed, the slaves, the suffering. Not so much for the empire, power, wealth. At the end of this same collection of visions that are started by this Revelation Christmas story in chapter 12, we hear this from chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying in midheaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Then another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the angel is announcing an eternal gospel, the good news for all nations, and the good news is that the creator God is about to come in judgment. That's not usually the gospel we proclaim, (laughs) but Herod knows God coming near is not something he is interested in experiencing. Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh, they know too. The message of the Christmas story of Herod is not that there are some bad men who do bad things. When we look at the broader story from Exodus to Revelation, we see something far more true. God with us is not good news for the empire, the powerful of the world, because their power is not the self-sacrificial, loving, justice-filled power of Jesus. Their power is the oppressive, violent, greedy power of the gobbling dragon. This is why John tells us over and over in the book of Revelation that the empire is is animated by Satan, that it is in cahoots with evil and death itself, not the prince of peace and the giver of life. When empire experiences God with us, it's like a burning fire, causing all of its illusions and self-delusions to go up in smoke. And so the empire resists God with us, tries to stamp it out, to gobble it up, but it can't. Because, and this is maybe the heart of the story of Herod, and is certainly the heart of the story of Revelation, because the power of the empire is an illusion. It is a pale imitation of the true power, which is found in God with us. John's message to the readers of Revelation is good news, that together you can resist, together you can have hope, because you know what's true, that the true king is with you the true power is behind you. And that while evil might thrash around on the earth for the time being, it has already been defeated. And so what do we do with that today? How does the story of the reaction of Herod, Pharaoh, Caesar, Satan, to the birth of Jesus, touch the here and now? First, it calls us to reflect and recognize the ways that we have thrown our lot in with empire, where we have gone along with the often subtle ways That systems of power and fame and violence convince us to trust in them instead of trusting in the self-sacrificial love and peace and justice of God with us. We remember that the true face of empire is not benign, but is a dragon greedily gobbling up everything before it. And we repent, to use the Bible's term, for turning back to God with us, trusting that life is to be found there. And then, second... The testimony of Revelation, which broadens out our view from just bad man Herod, tells us that God with us is a threat to all evil. Not just the structures and systems of empire, although they are certainly one expression of it, but also all expressions of suffering, disease, death, because those two are the tools of evil, and those two have been defeated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Who then offers that hope of resurrection to us as well? And so, while the power of suffering and death is real, it is like the power of empire, both limited and temporary. Empire, the oppressive forces of the world, suffering of all kinds, and even death itself, they get their power over us by making us believe a lie that they are what is most true, most real, most powerful, most to be feared. But the Bible tells us that their days are numbered. And the Christmas story tells us that despite their best efforts, they've already been defeated. That no matter what the dragon throws at us, no matter what his minions of oppression, violence, suffering, disease, and death bring our way, their time is short. It's ticking away. And God is with us. And the truth of God with us now and eternally is far more real. As a group, we responded to that far more real reality in two ways, um, one of which we aren't really going to be able to do over the podcast. But the first was by using the words that the people of God have been using for thousands of years in response to both their own suffering and the suffering of the world around them. We're going to pray together a psalm of lament. It's Psalm 13. And this is a way to both acknowledge the reality of the suffering we see and experience, to say that the enemy mentioned in the psalm feels real, and powerful, and never-ending to us, but then at the same time to look forward in hope to the time when we will know the full reality of God with us, whether that comes in this life or the next. So we are going to read these words twice. I will read them once and then pause. And as I read and then pause, I want to invite you to bring to mind the enemies you might cry out to God about either those you are personally suffering now or ones causing suffering to those you care about or to the world, oppression, injustice, pain, despair, evil, disease, death, there are lots of them. Whatever they are or might be in your life and world, I would invite you to bring them to mind as I read this first time. And then the second time that we read, I would invite you to read along with me, pray them along with me, And make them your own prayer of lament and hope today. So this is Psalm 13. How long, Yahweh? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice Because I am shaken, but I trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because they have dealt bountifully with me. So, with those enemies in mind, pray this along with me Psalm 13 How long, Yahweh? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Yahweh my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death and my enemy will say I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trusted In your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh because they have dealt bountifully with me. Our second form of response as a group was to hear stories from a couple of the members of our group of times when they experienced God with us in the midst of suffering through the people of God. There is something important in the Bible about Jesus being especially with those who suffer. And that we, when we draw near to those who suffer, are also likely to experience God with us. So that that God with us goes both ways. The person who is suffering experiences God's presence through others. And we see and experience God with us in some special way when we draw near to those who are suffering. One of the things that can keep us from drawing near to those who are suffering is the discomfort, the despair of it all. But to refer back to the sermon for just a second, we remember that that despair, that suffering, that the real thing is that it has already been defeated and that we can look forward to the resurrection, which gives us the ability to draw near suffering without despair. So while we can't hear the stories that we heard as a group together, I did want to mention that response as well as something that was a key part of our time together as a group before we go. So to draw us To a close today, may the God who draws near to those who are suffering draw near to you, and may you experience God with us this Christmas season.